This one is definitely episode five. I've definitely got it right this time. So hello and welcome to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. I'm Ross Anderson, that's John Muir, and our lovely guest this episode is player, referee and all-round rugby lover, Hannah Stewart. Hannah, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We've been really excited these past few days, actually, to get you on the podcast because we love getting people as enthusiastic about rugby as ourselves on, and we can't wait to hear all the great things you've been up to recently. How are you? I'm not bad. Yeah, it's definitely a busy one, so it's nice to kind of take a break. So just off air for the people listening, you very quickly mentioned a little bit of your rugby story, and it's pretty amazing because you've worn a couple of different jerseys over the years for teams in Dumfries and Galloway. What has your rugby journey been? Where did it start? What's brought you here? And, and where are you now? What's the what's the plan going forward from, from where you've come from? Yeah, so I started in minis through Dumfries. I've done a lot of schools rugby, doing stuff with active schools and primary schools and things like that. And then coming up through Dumfries Academy, where I played for their school teams and then got involved with like the schools tournaments. Obviously not a lot, not a big female demographic for rugby at that point. So we're pretty much like the whole of the West schools bringing in together as one. So that's where I kind of got involved with Annan Rugby, playing for their kind of junior side for a season or two just with the schools. And then coming through into Sturtry, where I joined, well, I started training with their women's side at 16 and then dispensated at 17. So it was a massive jump up from that junior rugby into senior women's, but it was, it was probably one of the best things I could have done. Was that something that you always thought you would do is kind of move between all the different clubs or if you had had it available, like you said, like the women's, the girls, even rugby available to you, would you have stayed in in one place or have you enjoyed being able to kind of jump around a little bit, meet lots of new people and that kind of thing? I think it's been nice jumping around a little bit. I think within reason, I've jumped around a lot just because I couldn't feel teams and then clubs shut down and things like that, like teams disbanded. But what the girls, which I see through my coaching now, the girls have got a massive opportunity to bond and develop as a team. Over at Dumfries Saints, they're doing amazingly well. Um, and the girls, youth rugby coming from under 14s right through under 18s, they're, they're doing extremely well. And I think that benefits them having familiar faces around them and familiar coaches. So I think it's, it's best of both kind of thing. You, there's kind of good things on both sides. And what was it that started at Hannah? You, you said there that you started at Minis. What was the what was the driver for that? What was the the spark? What what made you want to play rugby? Uh, I, I'm one of three girls, but my dad was a rugby player. He played for Police Scotland and Wigtonshire. Kind of influenced quite a lot. I, I grew up watching rugby in the house and things like that, and kind of always wanted to play. I was a swimmer to start with. It, it helped with the strength and everything. And um, but I just took a, a shining to rugby, especially through going through bits and pieces with minis and then school rugby. I just took a shine into it. Absolutely loved it and hooked. And do you think that's a, you know, you're saying there your dad and your family. We're hearing a lot now about the the women's game being on the TV and, and all that. Did you see much women's rugby growing up or was it just pretty much the, the Scotland internationals, you know, the men's team, your dad playing? Is that is that where it came from? Yeah, well, I never saw any women's rugby growing up. It was unheard of. I, I didn't get a lot of that. The first time I saw women's rugby was actually, I think it was a Stuart Tree air game. That was my first women's rugby that I seen. 
and then later ended up joining that team. But I, I kind of the rugby that I grew up with was seeing the old boys play at Saints with my dad and like the likes of your John Steele, your Ram McHenry and all that who are all like played alongside my dad have just um, influenced me through there. I know you are not that old to have watched John Steele and Ram <laughs> McHenry play. It was the when boys. they were playing for the uh, senior games. <laughs> uh, over, th- over 40s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned a second ago, Hannah, about the girls' rugby being a little bit more accessible now and definitely you know, being able to see new faces and get coaches in, just try and have things a little bit better, more organised these days. Do you think there has been a big growth in that kind of side of especially the girls game from when you were playing, you know, being able to have the chances, to have the coaches, to have basically just the opportunity to to play some more rugby. Yes, I think that's a massive part of it is getting the the notice out that women's rugby is here and it's fast growing and it's a good game. Because I think what people really struggle is that women's and men's rugby is a completely different game. You know, men's rugby is very physical, it's very contact heavy. Where I think where women's can be, it's a very technical game and they play it a lot differently. But having the girls see women's rugby develop, like or the premiership going through and teams like Church are going all the way up to Glasgow, up to Aberdeen to play these top level teams. And I think it's it's really special. And having those kind of development things and having so many players from Dumfries youth girls going up through the Scotland squad and everything like that is is really good to see because they see a natural progression, whereas I didn't really see that when I was going up through rugby. I never saw women going from round here playing for Scotland. i just never seen that. And then women's rugby, it was always just borders rugby, Dumfries and Galloway rugby. It was never like big teams travelling up and travelling down to come and see us at our home ground. It was, it was completely changed and I think it's changed for the better. Also on that transition that you're talking about or, or pathway, you also mentioned the the step up from kind of girls to senior women's rugby that you had. What does that landscape look like for you? Was it an easy transition? Is it something that, you know, maybe has improved over recent years? Because I know for a lot of men, when they get 17, 18, it's a ma- it can be a massive step, depending on where you are. If you're playing for someone like Newton Stewart, for example, that's, you know, you're playing under 18s rugby locally, and then you're playing national two rugby. It's It can be quite a big step up. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was it, when I was playing. It was very much of a, a developed sport of where you chucked a jersey on whichever school you could find enough players from, and you ran in a line and hoped for the best. And that was that was youth rugby for us. And then stepping up into adults, when I started training with the Sands at sixteen. I started seeing positional play, and I learned that the forwards and backs do very different things in a field and how your position means so much in a game. Whereas in in youth rugby, you only had your scrum half and that was your only important position. You had your forwards and they were kind of like the bigger girls, the taller girls in the team, and that was it. So it was was really just seeing rugby as the same as the men's was. Like seeing that positional play, seeing that kind of the set plays being carried out, it it was a completely different game. And you had a good few years at senior level before an injury, is that right? Yeah, so I played until I was 19 with them. I I went up to uni in that time as well. Came back down over COVID and started playing for Carlisle. Played a bit of Carlisle rugby with them just while I was doing some work placement and then got a fracture to my spine, 
uh, during a dump tackle, got put onto my neck and just the pressure of it just went right down my back. So it was a pretty gnarly injury and that was that was me out for a good, a good few years. So I think, To be honest, I think of all the people we've had on the podcast, that has to be the worst injury we've had, to be honest. And we've, we've talked a lot about recovery and, and what that looks like for, for certain people. And to be honest, I think, John, we've only had it in in maybe even the professional game with with Robbie Smith and his injury time and that kind of stuff. What was that like for you with such a big injury and, you know, playing at this level, having to having to come back? Was it always the plan to play again? Did you think that was time to call it? What was going through your mind at, in recovery stage? Yeah, well, one thing that I was, I was very stubborn to come back. I was not letting that stop me. It was, I, I had such a big love for rugby all through my childhood that I didn't want to let that go so recovery was rehab twice a week doing exercises every night at home my mum's a nurse so that was very lucky for me that she could help out but in that time moving back home from uni coming back down from Glasgow and everything it was very stressful but rugby was kind of the more that kind of staple it was always there but I knew I couldn't play for a while and I think one of my best friends Emily she she was like, you're not playing. She was very much the stubborn one of, you're not playing while you're injured. You're not doing it. You're not doing it. So I was looking through scrums and it was, they saw the instruction to match officiating course. And I was like, it was at Curry up in Edinburgh. And I was like, I might as well go. It's a free course. If anything, it'll get me used to new rules coming back into play. I was like, so I'll just, let's just go and try that. And I went and I done all the online course for it, the e-learning and things like that. And, there was just so much that I didn't know as a player that cropped up as a referee. And I was like, I didn't know that. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've been I've been penalised for this in a game, but I couldn't tell you that was a rule. So going to that match fishing course, it was just a whole different breed. It was, you had to be so fit just to keep up with it, to be at every breakdown, be have that knowledge and that quick decision-making that it's just a different game. Was it kind of something that took a while, the match officiating, did it take a while to to get into it or was it kind of an instant thing that you knew you wanted to do? Because some people, and I know even a lot of my mates, do it and it just they just take to it straight away. It's like they found that love for rugby when they were playing again when they were young. They do a bit of match officiating and, and they just love it straight away. Yeah, I kind of half ex- like accepted that I'd never play again. With the, the extent of the injury that it was, I had realised that playing was maybe not an option anymore just with how severe the injury was. So I was like, I'm going to put my heart and my soul into this just to see where it goes so they put me in contact with West Refs so it was run by the Edinburgh Rugby Referee Society we're over in West at the moment uh, up with Glasgow and everything and the amount of opportunities they could tell you about was amazing and they were like you don't have to join society straight away but it's good just to get yourself into it I did that there was a female match officials group chat that they were like just join it see where it goes and seeing so many female match officials, there was there's about oh god, there's about thirty of them in this group chat. I'd never seen a female match official before. It was always just older guys that maybe retired from rugby. It was so it was it was something that I found quite nice. I'm like, yeah, maybe I could get into this. I've done a lot of match fishing, and it's I suppose it is one of those things, eh, Hannah, that you, that the first initial games is quite daunting because. When you when you're playing, you're sort of in that environment where you've got other people to rely on. When you become a referee, you're solely relying on you, and you've got thirty players on the pitch plus the subs all all looking at you for the 
further direction. But it's one of those things that you sort of get into the more the more you do it, isn't it? You get more comfortable. It's one of those things you just got to grin and bear it for the first. Well, certainly I felt like you just have to do it, and then eventually you'll you'll find that it's it's actually. I always put it as it's okay. It's not my passion. Like I would struggle to referee. But I know that it works for other people. Craig McCann, one of them, you know, he he loves it. You're loving it. So just like, how would did that feel for you? Like, did you as Ross? Did you get the bug straight away, or is it one of those things that you have to to work away at it? I think I I caught it pretty quickly. I immediately loved the atmosphere around it, and just the opportunity that came with it. Because I my first appointment was not as a ref, but as an assistant referee or linesman. They're going towards assistant referee now up at Scotston Stadium and then up at Mar College over in Troon for the North versus South Youth Girls. Following B, who is an amazing referee, she's up in Glasgow, just paving a way for female referees. She's doing so well as a, as a mentor for me. It's just as a role model for a lot of people. It's really exciting to see. And I think the opportunities that came around it just from being told, like, beach rugby and all that is that from seeing it growing up with um, Liz here, Rab McHenry and all that with him being family friends is I've saw what you can how far you can go with it is like I want to do that I, I will go further in referee than I ever will as a player so I was jumping straight head head first into that we'll come on to the beach rugby in a minute definitely because that's something we want we want to hear about a lot but how far have you taken the match officiating have you done all the done all the courses now you know what what kind of games have been your highlights how many games have you done how far have you actually taken this this passion that started out when you when you got injured how how long have you been going with this how far have you taken it i done a lot of ARing and things and it took a while to get into it to be in the middle but Saints down Dumfries were really supportive Dominic and uh, all the team there got me in some friendlies with the girls just to find help me find my feet and I think that was so helpful just to have a familiar team where I could come and just have no pressure on it at all and just find it straight away and then almost immediately so I, I qualified as an official in December and then immediately in March went to Roslyn Park National School Sevens down in London stayed there with some high level on someone national panel and everything for England doing high level schoolboy rugby seen girls rugby come from all over the world so I really took a shining to sevens and I absolutely I think it's probably one of my favorite things to do uh, just with the speed and technical skill in sevens it's been great fun but my highlight is probably being over in Wales doing Heart of Wales sevens pretty much Earthdown series but uh, they do three three dates over north mid and south Wales with mid being the the finals and it's a way adult rugby You've got sevens from all over the country coming in to do all that. It's very much a social sevens tournament because there's a lot of drinking involved and everything, And as they're all with rugby. It was just such a social environment that experiencing and facilitating that high-level rugby. How, do, how does it compare from the, from the playing socials to the refereeing socials? I had one in Wales when I've carded a player. Or something, must have been. At the end of the game, they approached me with a can and I had to boat race the player. And uh, it's just that you're, felt, you're made so welcome by every team that you visit and uh, the hospitality in it. And they always make the effort to come up and make friends with you or have a laugh with you. And it's, it's really great. 
And what about that support from the society and from Scottish rugby as a as a new match official? You're only in your second year and you're already doing these high high profile what sort of support network. Have you got? You said be under you know mentor and behind you. What is there any other support that you you get from from the the society and from Scottish rugby? Obviously, um, like the Craig McCann being a local boy and everything, that he is always there to kind of say, "Hey, if you need anything." We're just an email away. Even all your development officers, they're always there to get you games and friendlies and things. And there's a support there on club level. You've got the, the female match officials group chat that we were talking about. Like we have Corgi, who is heavily involved with Cali Meds and does a lot of like the tackle height sessions and things. He is constantly chatting away to us. Any questions? Have you seen this? Like, have you seen this report? Have you seen this article? and constantly engaging with us. And I think it really helps staying in that loop because you don't feel like it's a, a weekend-only thing. You feel like you're a match official the whole time because you're always giving your opinion about something. You're always having an influence on something. And then on society level, there is monthly meetings. All of ours are at Scotston, so for the West. Every month you'll go up and you'll travel, and it's... How's everyone doing? What have the games been like this month? Is there any questions? How can we support you? And then you've got your big kind of conference, like pre-season. We've just had ours up at GHK, where we went and we got our new kit. We had um, nutritional advice from one of our other female match officials. We had tackle height sessions. We had our, uh, our bronco test, which is not pleasant, but you had to do it. And um, But you have these monthly meetings where everyone kind of comes together and it's not just faces on a screen. Hannah, you mentioned that sevens is something you've really got into. What about tens? Because you had a bit of a bit of a mad experience as both a referee and a player at Stuart Tree Tens, didn't you? Yeah, so that was kind of a like the women's seven series coming through, played a bit of tens. But for the women's seven series, the the rugby people women's seven series, I was mad enough to volunteer to to match officiate as well as play. So the first time we went out to Cartha, I was there as a, just a player. Saw that they were struggling for referees the next few weeks. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I don't mind doing that. It's at home next week. I'll do it. It's fine. And this was when that kind of really big heat wave was in. So everyone was warm. Everyone was knackered. Between every game, I'd finish a game as a player. I'd change into my match official jersey, get a referee a game. And then I'd change back into my Stuart jumper and play a second half. So it was doing that all day constantly. So I was probably refereeing about six or seven games and playing about the same. So it was, it was tiring to say the least and doing that at Stuart and as well as up at Redford Barracks the next weekend. It was, it was a tiring few weeks. <laughs> and that was in around the time of the new, the new tackle heights coming in, coming in wasn't it? Was that, yeah, that was, that was just before. Ones? How are you find how are you finding that? Because you've all, you know, you've talked about your playing, you've talked about your refereeing, you're up and you've also half mentioned the, the coaching at Dumfries. You you're right across the whole spectrum of this whole tackle height and the, the you know, the nuances of it. So how are how are you approaching it? First of all, how are you approaching it as a referee? There's been a lot of sessions to kind of help us as referees as much and there's a lot of like online material to use. But a big thing is not much has changed in, in the grand scheme of things. The only thing that has changed is the penalty area. So the penalty area has gotten bigger, but the carding areas have stayed the same. 
So our processes for head contact, for example, have stayed the same since last season. So us as a re- on paper, not much has changed, but the way the game is being played is completely different. We're seeing a lot less secondary tacklers because they're just not finding the space to get in, as well as there's a lot more offloading in the game now that we're from experience from what we're seeing that players are tending to offload more because they're not wanting to take it into contact and is that adding to the pace of the game is it is it making it is, is your bronco test need to be from up from a level five to now a level seven yeah so it's, it's making it a lot faster but i think that was always a natural progression like so new zealand and that play who have had the tackle height session for a while they play a very fast game and I think we're following in their footsteps and that it's becoming a more offload based game and they're using quick play as a tactic now not just oh it's a very quick game it's we we need to use this and from a coaching side how has your experience as a referee impacted on your coaching like what are you what are you telling the girls at Dumfries so I was brought in as a referee coach so I knew the laws very very well so it was helpful to do the the little picky bits of, oh, you need to release the ball first before you can pick it back up. It needs to leave your hands. So bringing it in with the new tackle height, there was a lot of questions around it. But when I started showing them videos and started talking more about it, they realised not much had changed. But with youth rugby, it's very much of they're encouraged to tackle around the waist anyway. In hindsight, not much has changed on the coaching side. You're always looking for that cheek-to-cheek bands of steel kind of thing. That's not really affect, been affected by it. And are you finding, like, what's the, what's the chatting around it? Because obviously there's the whole kind of grey area of the of the sternum. Where it, what is the sternum affecting the body height? We've obviously seen it this weekend with the, with the World Cup. There's a lot of controversy and around it so what exactly is what is it a referee's looking now you've got milliseconds i realize that milliseconds to make to make these calls so like talk us through a bit of the process that goes on in your head if if you can and then around when you see a tackle happening what's the sort of things that you're looking for the key indicators a lot of it is mitigating factors so if a tackle can be slightly high but it's not that affecting there's been no head contact or shoulder contact we're looking for, has the tackler made the effort to go down? Have they sunk at the knees? Have they, they hinged? If As long as the effort is there, more often than not, it'll be a play on or an advantage to where it becomes a head contact. We are, it's, it's a very quick decision-making process. And I think it's drilled into you. And as much as it, you can see it on paper every time that this is the process that we take, it's very much an experience thing. So you won't know until you see it and it sounds very strange. You just kind of know like that doesn't feel right to me. There's something about that that doesn't look right. Stop it. Right. There's been a shoulder to the head. Take a breath. What's happened? Has the the ball carrier dipped late? Where that is a rule in England, we can penalise the ball carrier for late and low, as it's called, but not in Scotland. So having the difference between Scottish rules and English rules is kind of different as well, especially when you're refereeing either side of the border where you're coming in and being like, has the effort been made? Can we mitigate it down to just a penalty? Because we don't want to give cards. Giving cards is kind of a last resort. We want the game to flow. We want people to stay involved as much as possible. What about, Hannah, then when you move to to beach rugby? Is that mostly 
all about the fun or is there is there quite a lot that you have to be careful of when you're refereeing that as well it's I, I, I mean it's probably a very obvious thing to say but it's a very different game sevens is a very different game when you're refing from from 15s and I can imagine beach rugby is even more so yeah I think that's everyone is there to have a good time it's the the kind of last minute blowout before the season starts so everyone's we had teams adult teams there that were drinking from eight o'clock in the morning and then going out and having a bit of a laugh. And then you had teams that had three and four-year-olds playing for them who would have people diving at their feet, pretending to tackle. And it's just very much of showing the spirit of the game is everyone's there. Everyone's involved and everyone's coming in to have a bit of a laugh just to see what it's about. And then you do get your competitive side as well. You get your kind of higher level teams that want to win it. They're there to win it and it can get a bit feisty. But if you, it's all down to your kind of game management of, right, guys, let's just take it down a notch. Let's take a breath. They respond to how you're feeling as a referee. So if I'm there anxious, shouting at people all the time, they're going to shout right back. But if I'm calm, be like, right, let's slow it down. And if I'm responsive to them, they'll respond in the same way to me. So I think that definitely comes with experience. You just mentioned the game management there, and that's leads me perfectly on to what I wanted to ask you next because what would you say to someone that is maybe thinking about becoming a match official a referee or an assistant or something that might be a little bit nervous when it comes to the game management side of things because at times it can feel like a lot of people are against you you are one person in the middle of that pitch okay you've got your assistants but on that actual pitch the decision comes down to you and that's you and you've maybe got players against you. Um, I do not doubt that you've got the sideline against you. You know, it, it can be quite a daunting thing for someone that wants to start out as a match official. Yeah, I think very, it's very much of use all the tools in your belt. So there's things that we can do if a game's kind of getting out of hand. Of You can talk to the captains. Captains are so useful in a game. If coaches are maybe getting a bit rowdy, the sidelines are getting a bit rowdy, you can bring captains in being like, look, it's not in the spirit of the game. Talk to them, using them and making them feel involved makes a huge difference, especially in youth rugby. Having them have a bit of responsibility for themselves to being like, look, go and speak to your coach for me. Tell them it's not on. But then you can go into looking at cards and everything, which is, again, we, we don't want to use that. But I think having everything as pitch assault, you need to have a thick skin as a referee because there's a big difference from being them frustrated with the game whereas they're frustrated with you. And I think having that thick skin prevents you from mixing up the two. Referees are very much underappreciated of the travel and the effort they go to in the training. Um, A lot of referees I know are training three, four times a week just to keep their fitness up, whereas players are maybe training twice a week. So I think it's an underappreciation of what refs go through, but as well as bringing them back and just say, look, we're on the same side here. I'm going to like play as much as possible, but wind it up a bit. Like Let's let's take a step back and have a look at this and what's really going on. And I think explaining yourself is really valuable. Downtime, say if you're walking to a, a line out or something, just be like, look, number eight, come here. Just be like, look, I know you're frustrated, but this is why I've made this call. Usually nine times out of ten, they'll say, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. And then walk away. In the moment, it can be quite stressful. Having that thick skin is really valuable. But after the game, more often than not, they'll they'll come and they'll shake your hand and they'll be like, right, thanks for that. Like, that was really good. Thank you so much. 
what I've learned, similar to what you've just said there, Hannah, is, is your ability to take a breath. So when you give a decision, you don't need to start talking straight away. You blow the whistle and let, let everybody come up and you can formulate what exactly it is that you're penalising, what that looks like. And as long as you can articulate that to players and are willing to have a conversation, because when I refereed, that was always the, my pre-match team talk. I was always wary as a coach of uh, a referee that came and said, I don't want any chat from anybody. It's, it's through your captains, and that's and that's it. And I and I get that to an extent, but there there has to be a level of communication that you're comfortable enough to have those conversations with players, as long as they're done in the correct manner. And that ability to step back and just go, right, what I seen there was I seen this, this, and this. You might not have seen that, but that's what I've seen. Is that is that your process? Is that how you how you go into games? Are you willing for players to speak to you? I think it comes with experience as well. With When you're starting out as ref, you don't want everyone kind of jabbing at you at once because it can be very like overwhelming. But as you become a more experienced ref, it's easier to kind of tune it out a little bit. As well as team talks at the start are so valuable in that you can say, look, guys, I'm quite happy for you to chat about me, about a decision or anything. Just maybe don't do it when I've called the penalty. Maybe at downtime, if there's an injury, if there's water on, if there's a try being scored, call me over. I don't mind that. Or I'm happy to stay behind an hour after the game in the clubhouse to, to chat about anything that you might question. So it's having it's giving them that opportunity to have their say in it and making them feel involved. And I think especially in youth rugby, where a lot of the time they won't feel included, that having giving them that little bit of responsibility really makes a difference how they see you as a ref. Hannah, correct me if I'm wrong, but am I right in saying that you have played this season? Yeah, my last game was up at Cartha, Sturgeon versus Cartha. And then I'm playing this weekend for Sturgeon versus Watsonians. So despite the love of of the refereeing, despite enjoying the bit of coaching that you're doing and despite the injury, you're still more than happy to pull on the boots, pull on the shirt and, and and play from, you know, the first love that you had, which was which was playing the game. Absolutely. It all comes down to I fell in love with playing to start with. I always want to be playing where I know that it's not sustainable and I, I won't play forever. I'm quite happy if they need numbers, if there's a home game that I'm free for. I think going forward in the future that it's definitely going to be something I'm going to have to phase out which breaks my heart to say, but I'll go further in refereeing than I ever will in playing. And I think to become a, a good referee, if I want to do the likes of transition panel or national panel refereeing, and a lot of people my age are doing just now, especially up in the Edinburgh Society, that I'll need to take a step back from playing and concentrate on being the best ref I can be, which means not getting that little niggle that you get to, to take a step back from playing to make sure I'm 100% for the game. That's what I'll need to do if I want to take refing further. Anna, the second last thing we do is actually what you were almost just touching on there is is the future. And it's ironic because I thought of this question and I absolutely despise being asked this question, but I ask it to all of our guests. So I don't really know why I do it. But what does the next little bit of time, let's say five weeks, we normally say, hold for you what you're looking forward to in in the short future and also in the long future maybe five years you say that playing is not going to be there forever but 
for as long as possible, you want to be doing as much in rugby as you possibly can. Right now, I'm having a conversation with the allocations team over at the West, as well as with Corgi George and Craig McCann to get me as many games as possible so I can develop my ref career. I've got a few games coming up uh, as a ref. I'm doing some of the under-14s girls stuff. I'm just doing a bit of refing for that, uh, which is it's low level, but it's great to see them develop. And it's, it's nice to have a familiar face when my girls are coming up. So I'm doing a bit, my next game, I think, is bigger versus... West of Scotland women's that's my next kind of 15s game and then preparing for the seven season ahead as well so the likes of the women's seven series if that goes ahead again this year then you've got Heart of Wales coming up again as well as as like Edinburgh City Sevens and things. Last but not least then is to ask the quickfire teammates questions so this can be whoever you want from any team you've ever played in you can even do referees if you'd like in your extensive career of coaching playing refereeing whatever you want it to do whoever comes to mind first let us know hardest trainer who's the hardest working player coach referee that you've you've come across oh as we um simeon dowie who is also known as the tiktok ref he's refereed you guys recently he will go for an eight kilometer run in the morning just for the fun of it he is a powerhouse. He will train, I think, almost every day, and he he puts so much dedication into the game. Yeah, I have to I have to attest to that. To be fair, he even after he refed our game, he was asking all our players for feedback, which I thought was great. It's not something you get from a lot of referees asking what he could have done better and and what he thought of the game and everything like that. I thought it was brilliant. What about the loudest? Who's the loudest in your dressing room or the referees' room or? Oh, I think that has to be Claire Dooley, our captain this year for Stuart, for Stuart Tree. She, you can always hear her before you see her and she's got such a recognisable voice that you just immediately know, well, that's Claire. <laughs> yeah, that one I think we can also attest to, to be fair. It's not just her voice either, it's her car. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we'll be going to a meeting tonight, this is Monday night, we'll be going to a meeting tonight and you can guarantee you'll hear Claire coming from, from Castle Douglas to the rugby club. <laughs> what about the worst dresser? Oh, that's a difficult one because the amount of kind of charity shop wears we've done after rugby, it's been it's been really funny. I think one of the ones that sticks out in my mind was when we done a, a charity shop rubbish shirts night after a friendly against Wrighton. It was a good few weeks before the start of the season. They were touring and came up and I can remember Holly Murdoch came up in this like kind of like 80s style printed suit just walked in straight in her hand she was there and it was awful awful thing but it, it suited the theme well well who rather spends the longest in front of the mirror oh i have to say oh i don't know that one probably me. takes a while to do my hair <laughs> worst taste in music i'm kind of biased with this one with the sirens have their green post game Spotify play. Everyone adds into it. It's a laugh, but you can always hear Ali Henderson putting on some obscure or strange music choice. <laughs> Most naturally talented rugby player or coach or referee? I think this one's just a, a no-brainer. It's Phaedra Snailham. It plays for Sturcher just now. She's just such a natural runner uh, as well. And she's just she's constantly in the in the the scoring list. It's she's always got the ball in her hands somewhere. 
but I, I think her and one of our junior players, Kyla, who plays for under 16s at the moment, and she just runs the most graceful lines and she just runs over the top of people and she's such an amazing player. What about the best prankster or who's the joker in the dressing room? Oh, I have to go back to the kiddos that I coach at under 18s, Louise Tapperell plays for Scotland just now. She is constantly laughing and joking out and doing cartwheels and roller poles on the pitch. And it's it's a struggle to calm her down a bit, but she's always the one that's there laughing and having a laugh and making the other girls laugh. What about the laziest when it comes to training, but then is just world-class when it comes to, comes to game day? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I don't know a lot of, I don't see, because I live like so far away, I don't see a lot of the girls before training and things. So Lisa Richie and her team, she is always just kind of middle of the pack. She's there, she's having a laugh while she's at training, but then she's this world-class player. She's plays for British Police, that she's just got this natural God-given talent, but she never, she, she always has her head down, but she she's always there having a laugh during training and things, never takes herself overly seriously but as soon as the game time comes in it's she's it's a different breed who's the hardest sammy dernan she she runs barrels for people she is just hard as nails but then she will come up and cuddle you after she's she's hard as nails on a rugby pitch but the softest woman i've ever met in my life (laughs) last but not least the best on a night out oh um Maybe the hardest one to name as well, to be fair. It's a tough one. Yeah. I have to say some of the Cornwall referees that I met doing Heart Wales and doing beach rugby, Rob and Kevy, who are national panel referees, they're a bit older than me, but they will, their fine court is something else. Like I had to sing Flower of Scotland with a spoonful of cinnamon in the mouth. It was just the way they do things. is just funny and it's just chaotic and it's really good laugh. Amazing. Thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on the podcast today. Talking about coaching, refereeing, playing, it's so good to have someone that can talk a little bit about every single little thing. And we're so happy that you're doing so much in the area. And hopefully we can get you on the podcast again soon after you've played a few more games, refed a few more and even done some more coaching. You're listening to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast, bringing you the latest updates, captivating interviews and in-depth analysis of the sport we love. And now we have some exciting news for our listeners. This season we are proudly sponsored by BE Uniforms, the clothing partner of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. They have been providing top quality workwear and rugby kits for over 34 years, serving rugby clubs, schools and businesses across Scotland and the north of England. What sets BE Uniforms apart is their commitment to quality and their extensive experience in the industry. With 10 retail stores spread across the region, they are the largest uniform company in the area. They've partnered with renowned brands like Canterbury and Macron, making them the go-to destination for all your rugby kit needs. From Melrose to Oban and beyond, BE Uniforms has been supplying top quality rugby kits to clubs all over Scotland. So, if you're gearing up for the 2023-24 season and looking for a reliable kit supplier, we highly recommend checking out BE Uniforms. Visit their website at beuniforms.com 
to explore their impressive range of rugby kits and workwear options. But that's not all. Did you know that BE Uniform hosts the podcast shop on their website? Now you can go show your support for the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast by purchasing exclusive DG Rugby Pod merch. We want to express our sincere gratitude to BE Uniforms for their support in bringing you this season of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Now, let's get back to the action on the field. Stay tuned for more captivating interviews and insightful previews and reviews of all the thrilling rugby happening across Dumfries and Galloway. It's now time, as always, as you know, for the results roundup, fixtures preview, and of course, we're hoping this week, I'm hoping, John, for some any other rugby business at the end of it. It's been a couple of weeks now, we haven't had any. Team's still getting back into action, but maybe this is the week. We'll have to wait and see. Fantastic to hear from Hannah, of course. Great to get her on, all the amazing things she's doing in rugby. But now it's time to find out how everyone got on over the weekend. We start with a bit of a disappointment. Then we pick up again a little bit. Then we get even higher. Then we drop a little bit. It is a roller coaster here in Dumfries and Galloway. Newton Stewart played their first away game after losing the opener. And unfortunately, they fell short again. Last weighed 34, Newton Stewart 18. Yeah, still still not firing uh, our Newton Stewart. We, we talked about it last week. You know, them going up to last wave is, is always a, a difficult place to go and pick up a victory. And, you know, when you're when you're trailing ten six at half time, your points have come from kicks, their points have come from tries. You know, you, you you're probably knowing that you're looking into a what's going to be a difficult game. And that's exactly what happened with with Newton. They just Lacked a bit of continuity. They, they were playing some good rugby at times, but just couldn't put it together. And it was just far too sporadic, too too patchy for Wiley's liking. He, he needed the boys to, to be able to put those phases together. So there is a glimmer of hope that they are doing some good stuff. It's just, we've talked about it, we talk about it time and time again, being able to be consistent and being able to put that in for, for 80 minutes. Newton's still not managing that just yet getting a little bit bogged down with the new tackle laws. It's difficult because referees are, are interpreting it differently. So it's until that settles down, teams need to adapt it to the referee and Newton Stewart are, are, uh, are currently struggling with that. And that way, when, you, when your back's against the wall, you maybe try a little bit too hard. That's that's probably where Newton Stewart, Newton Stewart are now. There was a really strong wind going down the pitch, which made it really hard for both teams to sort of get any sort of kicking game going, the, the ball was going dead, you know, getting kicked too long. Wiley said to me, he's not panicking yet. They're not too far away. And it's just a case of them needing to string it all together to, to get some things rolling. And unfortunately for them, I've got another tough fixture this weekend. So they better they better get together quick before this season starts getting away from them because two wins, uh, sorry, because two losses not, is not a good start. That's not what you want. Same, I suppose, can be said for Dumfries, John. They have also started the season with two losses. The first game, they played Barmuir at home and it was really, really close. Just two points in it, I think. This time around, though, it was a bit more convincing as they were on the road at Hillhead, Jordan Hill, and they couldn't even get on the score sheet, which is 
is probably the more, well, maybe not the more disappointing thing, but a, an added disappointment to a loss, 31-0. Yeah, this was a real sore one for, for Saints. Hillhead, just physical side, played at a lot of, a lot of speed, a lot of pace, and really capitalised on a couple of early errors from Saints. They just couldn't keep their composure under pressure and, and Hills were able to do that. So the first 20 minutes, Dumfries had started to gain some ascendancy in some field position. They had a real strong set piece that they were able to put some pressures, pressure on, but just couldn't get any sort of points in, in, into any red zone conversions. And it just, it, half an hour where you're really on it and you're not putting it together and you're not getting points. It's just, you know, adding fuel to the fire, the opposition that they think this is everything this team's got and, and we're able to hold them out. The game was plagued with injuries for quite a few of the Saints boys, which meant that they had to unload their, their bench pretty early, which then had a had an impact on them later on in the game. They weren't able to bring on some fresh legs and just couldn't couldn't give them a, a little push, whereas Hulls were able to, to bring on those fresh legs. So it was a real tough, tough day for, for Saints when I spoke to Paddy, he said uh, this year's not really about picking, you know, the results are, are there, but he's not chasing the results. He's wanting the performance and the culture to be strong. He knows it's going to be a, a tough shift trying to reintegrate those boys because obviously they've lost a few of the, the key players to, to other places that he knows that that's, that's what they're going to be focusing on. Can they build those those foundations to then be able to be stronger later in the season? Because that's going to be massive. You know, when teams start, we know how strong teams are at the start of the season. And if you can just hold on and start building the foundation and have, you know, the Saints boys can keep their chin up, that then the second half of the season, they'll they'll be able to pick up some wins, get their home form, home form sorted and, and hopefully be able to stay up in this league because it's too early to, to be contemplating rele- relegation, but it almost has to be on their mind that that's potentially they don't want to go they don't want to do a double a double drop. So, but they had did have some standout players. Kerr Parson controlled the game really well and showed some nice touches with some kicking. Harry Hoodley again was outstanding work rate in defence and attack. Aaron Greenland had another solid eighty minutes at seven. The big takeaway is that the the boys just need to be comfortable in some of those away games. It took them too long to come off the bus. If, they're in that ascendancy for thirty minutes and not converting any points. They need to they need to get that better. So Paddy will be working with these guys to to try and figure out what's what's the best policy and hopefully they'll be able to take this on in their stride as part of their part of their development and, and hopefully as I say they'll they'll get there. Hopefully it won't take them too long because this league will be unforgiving. And next up, Roscoe, we're gonna look at Stewartry on the road to Perthshire. Another good win for them in National 4. Perthshire 12, Stewartry 24. Yeah, good win on the road for us, to be honest. It's one of our, maybe wrong in saying this, but would it be our furthest away trip this season? I need to need to have a look at who else is in our league again, but either way, it's a long away trip. And uh, yeah, we've got to be buzzing about that one. I know Sandy is eight changes from the first game of the season. Against Strathmore, four in the starting lineup, four on the bench. So our whole bench was different. And for me personally, that's that's the biggest thing. Being able to rotate aside, especially when we go on the road, and still get a win, is is fantastic. Some 
first 15 debuts for Adam Hutchison, 18-year-old Mungo Bryson as well, which is brilliant to see. We started pretty poorly. I think we were kind of on the bus. In the same way against Greenock, we started... Ah, Greenock, that's this weekend, sorry. In the same way, we started against Strathmore when we kind of thought we were... When we thought we were still in the change rooms a little bit, Perthshire scored early. Kind of put us on the back foot. But again, we managed to claw our way back, which is which is kind of what we're all about. It almost takes the other team scoring for us to wake up and realise that they're beatable almost, which is which is odd. But yeah, we, we stuck in well. Both our centres getting a try either side of half-time, TJ McCarney and Sam Tate, which is great to see, really firing in the backs so far this season. The only thing I would say is we're maybe struggling for tries. We scored two in... No, we scored three in the first game two in the second one, and we're sitting third in the table, which is brilliant. We've just come up to National Four. But last season, we're all about scoring tries. And I know it's a harder league, but we're always, almost always getting that try bonus point, which I think we'll be we'll be looking to get from here on out. The only other downside was injuries as well. Same as Dumfries, John. Andrew Picken split his head open. Alex Moffat also... Had sustained a head injury and steady dislocated his shoulder. So, yeah, a couple injuries to take there. But, like I said, being able to rotate the side, plus injuries, plus debuts, plus it's a big, big away day, a long bus journey, and still come away with the win to put us two from two is is brilliant. So, on to the next one at home this weekend. Not only us. Uh, that are two from two, John, because Annan won their second game of the season as well. After that brilliant win away at Kilmarnock that Juan was talking about last week, they were back at Violet Bank. They welcomed DL and they won 23-14. DL were going into this game one from one. Annan, obviously a big win, as you say, against against Kilmarnock. So both teams going in with a lot, a lot of confidence. I was a very very hot and humid Violet Bank, but Annan got off to an absolute flyer. They took an early lead. Jan getting a getting his getting a try on the board. Josh Whiteside adding two penalties, so they were eleven nil up after half time. There was a lot of backwards and forwards from from both sides, and no one was able to score it until Annan managed to get another try to make it sixteen nil. DL managed to get themselves back into the match with a converted try round about the 55-minute mark, which got the game back to 16-7. And not long after that, they managed to get a double, They managed to get a second score, which then made it 16-14. Annan were down to 13 players because they got two yellow cards. So last 20 minutes was what was required. And the lads weathered the storm after being down to 13, managed to get themselves back up to full complement before Captain Kieran managed to get over for a try on his 150th appearance for Aaron, which brought them to 23-14 with just five minutes to play. DL started to mount a, a charge back, but Aaron were able to hold on to that and made sure that they, they came away with a win, which is a, a fair feat considering 
that they had lost those two players to yellow cards. I think VL had also suffered some yellow cards. Uh, when I spoke to Jan, he said uh, it was, the referee was pretty strict on that, been on both sides. But when you're down to 13, it's it's never easy. But Aaron have managed to pull through that. They're two from two. There's a bit of a buzz going on at Annan, and it's uh, it's good to see. Long may that continue. Annan got a win at home. Well done to them. And well done also to Shire, who were also at home. 31-15 against Straven. And this one was a big one for Shire. Made a few changes in our coaching staff, which we hinted at last week. We can now confirm that there has been some changes there. Gregor has decided to step back from his role as head coach uh, to concentrate a bit more on playing, on the playing side, which means John Dorimple, his assistant coach, will take step up into the head coach role. There was then some changes in the backroom staff as well with Dav Thompson coming in as backs and attacks coach and Campbell McGregor coming on as forward coach along with Gregor to double team that up. So a bit of a, a bit of shimmying about. Structures will still be the same, policies will still be the same, team selection criteria will still be the same. So not not a lot of, of change, but you know, you're still wanting after those changes, you're still wanting the squad to be settled and, and be able to bring home a result and get their season back on track. And that's exactly what happened. There was a big improvement on last week's game. Obviously it was a the weather at the weekend, every game is going to be played in blistering heat and sunshine, which obviously suits the style of rugby that Shire wanted to play. And they just managed to impose that on, on Straven for the majority of the game. They came with a big pack and the Shire boys did struggle up front with them, but they improved, improved last week on their lineouts, which gave them at least that, that platform to be able to play off an attack off of, which is what they need because their back line can cause damage if the forwards can get them the ball. The pick of the tries came from a strike move off of a line-out finished in the corner by Mark McComb. Blair Forsyth and Gregor managed to control the game from 10 and 12, but it was another man-of-the-match performance from Jason McKee, who had managed to outwork everybody on the park another weekend in a row. Really is leading by example and, and showing the boys how to put the effort in. So well done to those guys. As we know, heading to Kilmarnock this week, bit a tough one for them. Now they've got that win under their belt, now they need to keep it rolling. That result was 31-15. And funnily enough, Moffat almost exactly matched that. This time, however, they were away. Moffat 31, Glasgow Unimedics 14. Yeah, it was a really good game. Moffat were trailing 14-7 at half time, so they were absolutely delighted that they were able to to overturn that in the second half. It was tight with both defences playing really well. Glasgow Medics looking to spread the play, utilise their speed out in the wings. But Moffat were obviously looking to try and control that middle of the middle of the pitch section because that's that's probably where their strength lies. Their first scores came from some excellent vision and a line break from from Max Douglas from just about inside his own half. It was a bit of a show and go. Managed to make a break and then round the round the fullback at the last minute. The highlights are available on video on Moffat's Facebook page. So if you want to go and see that try, go and have a look at it because it is uh, a touch of class from Max. In the second half, Moffat managed to use the forwards a bit more. 
uh, managed to get a foothold in the game, allowed them to play the structure that they've been wanting to try and implement. The last try of the day came from Big Scott Galloway. I don't know what he was doing, but he was uh, he was out on the out on the touch fly, he scored in the five meter channel with a big fella. So I don't know how he managed to find himself out there, but it was some great build up play. Almost came from inside their own half, Moffat ball going from side to side, keeping the ball alive, and they were able to exploit that space. Medics not about done, continued to threaten for the entire second half, and it took some stubborn defending from Moffat in their own five to hold them, hold them out. So it's a great start for Ross. Obviously, last weekend's game being called off would have been disappointed for them. Uh, they would have been champing at the bit, and now they've got that that first win under their belt. We'll see how they we we'll see how they can build from there. In the women's game, we'll start unfortunately so with two games that were called off in the end. John, both the Stewartry Sirens and the Annan Warriors suffered walkovers which, in case you don't know, means an automatic 28-0 win to the opposition. Not how they wanted to spend their weekends. No, it's, it's a real tough one, player availability. You know, the the women's game is, is played with such small squads. They've not had the, you know, the 10, 15 years of development for the kids coming through to, to rejuvenate their, their squads. Yes, players are coming in. Teams are, are making their debuts, but fortunately... The squad depth and the women's games just not at that level yet to be able to to do that. So unfortunately, you know you'll see that probably quite often in the women's game more so than you would in the men's game. As you say, Stuart made eight changes to their team to play at the weekend, which obviously impacted on their ability to field the second team. And if you think of that, I was speaking to Sandy today talking about forty boys at training, and we weren't able to put out two teams on the weekend. It just shows you the player availability is still a big, big problem for for rugby. I don't have a magic bullet. I don't know how you fix that, but it's certainly going to be more prevalent in the women's game. We're going to see games getting called off, unfortunately. But listen, they'll bounce back. They take they take it in their stride. They they know that that's a possibility and they'll crack on and they'll, they'll try their absolute hardest to make sure they've got teams out this weekend. Shire, on the other hand, with all that said, did managed to get a team out. They had Air, which we knew was going to be a tough game. And in the end, Air 29, Shire nil. Even more disappointing for the Shire girls because they played a pre-season game against there and, and had won that pretty comfortably. But as we said last week on the podcast, Air have managed to do some really good recruiting. They have got themselves up to 40-odd players, just as we've talked about. They had a massive training session the week before the Shire game. And they were able to come with a real physical game plan. They really took it to Shire. We know Shire women's especially want, you know, their real pace is out wide. That's where their real skill set is. And unfortunately, when the forwards are outdone, then it makes it really difficult for you to to be able to really utilise that wide game that they want to play. And that's that's one of the downsides of playing the wide, wide part. And unfortunately, they are just fronted up and managed to to really impose their, their physical dominance over Shire. Shire were down 17-0 at half-time. But they showed some real fighting spirit. They didn't let that. It wasn't like they went into that half-time thinking that's them done. You know, they were really willing to try and try and fight back. But unfortunately, it just wasn't f- for happening for them. There was some real close encounters, but they just weren't able to, to capitalise and take any points from that. And he just managed to rack up 
some more points, which meant the game finished with Shire with zero and 29 points to air. Neve Finlay, once again, putting in a big shift for, for Shire. She came away with player of the match after making some big carries and some cracking tackles. And Neve Wilson on the wing, we said, you know, that's where the real skill set is. She managed to outdo a few defenders uh, and really show some some gas on that wide channel. And she managed to get herself player of the match as voted for air. So the girls know what they need to work on. They need to implement it in some future fixtures. And again, just like everybody we've said, we can't afford for, for losses to keep mounting up because as soon as they mount up, you know, your momentum goes and, and you're really struggling. And off the back of last season, you know, the teams really need to get themselves, get their act together, come together as a squad and start turning this round because we know that they're capable. And it's, it's maybe just a little bit of complacency. Typical Dumfries and Galloway, just taking too long to get started. Happens in every game and seems to be happening this season. On to the fixtures now. And considering we started with the men's last week, I think, John, we'll start with the women's this time around. We have one bye week, which is Shire. They're not playing this weekend. So that is the reason we are missing them out before... Anyone thinks we've forgotten about them? We certainly have not forgotten about you. Enjoy your week off. Regroup. Go again next week. Stewartry Sirens. They are at home and they've got yet another Edinburgh side to play. Watsonians. Yeah, and Watsonians are four from four, mate. Sitting top of the top of the table with the Premiership. 174 points. Only conceded 45. So this is going to be another real tough one. We're, we're going to say this every week about the Sirens. You know, they, they've got maybe Carthur Queen's Park, maybe Geary as as teams that they are really looking to try and pick up points and victories from. Watsonians is going to be a tough one. This is going to be one where the girls are going to have to sort of have a look at that foundation, really try and build some blocks so that when they come to those games where they're targeting and they know that that's the fixtures that they're going to be looking at, that they're able to to put out performances for them. As I say, a, a disappointing that they couldn't put out a team last week. It looks like, from the conversations that we've had internally, that they've got a good amount of numbers available for this weekend with subs. So that's always a good sign. We've just got to make sure that they all stay stay fit and available for the weekend. What's well, only four for four? They they look like they're the team to beat in the league. They'll be they'll be looking to probably make a big statement against Stuartry this weekend and the girls have got to set themselves some realistic targets and go out and try and achieve those well that's keep the game within within 20 within 20 points or get a good start or work on some of the things that they're working on in training I don't want to give away too much because obviously I know I know quite a lot about their game plan and what they're what they're trying to achieve this season so they know that they'll know that that's what they have to go out and try and do and, and that's what they've got to do this weekend against what's going to be a, a real tough opponent in Watsonians. Maybe, John, you just want to copy and paste exactly what you've just said there. Annan Warriors in West Region Division 1 for the women's are also at home. Greenock Wanderers. Yeah, Greenock Wanderers are three wins, one loss. Annan currently sitting on four losses. So chocolate and the girls are are going to have to look to try and think about 
where they are going to pick up some fixtures. It's a home game. Greenock's a long way to travel. It's the furthest away team in the West Region. So they've got an opportunity there that if they can get a real good start and give Greenock a bit of a scare, then then they're in with a fighting chance. But if they do the typical Dumfries and Galloway way of, of letting an opposition make the journey down here and then give them an easy ride for 20 minutes, half an hour, they've made a rod for their own back. They've got to start good. They've got to go out there and, and really hit the ground running, try and catch Greenock coming off that bus a little bit stale, a little bit flat, get an early lead and just keep the pressure on them. That's certainly a conversation I would be having if I was if I was chocolate. Still, he's thunder if that is what he's talking, if he's saying that to the girls. But that's certainly one of the things I always tried to do whenever we were when I was coaching and playing was get a good start. No one wants to travel down here. So let's make it miserable for them. Get a good start. Get your foothold in the game. And then you can control the tempo. You can control the pace. You can control the game. Back in action as well, John, are the Dumfries ladies. As we talked about before, they have a kind of, what I couldn't say last week, a round-robin tournament-style fixture weekends almost. And this time they are off to... The Isle of Mull. So Dumfries ladies, last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, the last fixture, they were at Mar. So it's a bit of a suck and see this league. It's a bit of, you know, if you're available, turn up to the tournament and, and you'll get to go and play. So well, there's no guarantee that they'll get to play all these teams, but essentially the the teams that are invited and available to to come and compete at the Isle of Mull include Mar, Isle of Mull themselves, Glasgow Uni, Greenock Wanderers, Seconds and Thirds, Waysiders, Trumpelia, obviously Saints, Paisley and Ayers second team. So there could be multiple teams there. There could be one or two fixtures for Saints. We just need to wait and see what, what turns up for them. We hope that they get some good game time because that's the only way they're going to develop. That's what the whole concept of this aspiring league is. We've said before we need to grow the numbers in the women's game that are playing. So hopefully they're able to get some some meaningful some meaningful game time and some meaningful minutes under their belt when they get over to the LML this weekend to play that round robin tournament. On to the men's then Newton Stewart back to back away league games. This weekend they are going to Kirkcaldy and I've not actually looked at the table. I don't know an awful lot about what's happening in, in National 2. But from doing this podcast for almost a year now, Kirkcaldy are a pretty handy side, are they not, John? This should be this should be yet another tough game for Newton Stewart when they're still looking for their first win of the season. Yeah, I mean, last season, Newton Stewart managed to get a 37-17 victory over Kirkcaldy. But as you say... Newton Stewart were flying. Kirkcaldy have two losses. Newton have two losses. Both teams at the bottom of the table. This has to be a fixture that Newton Stewart are looking to to try and pick up. But as you say, Ross, nothing is easy when you have to travel to Kirkcaldy. So they're going to have to get their act together. They're going to have to show that those little glimpses that they're showing Wiley in games become a consistent feature. They have to keep their concentration they have to make sure that they are putting their 
stamp on the game. They're playing the Newton Stewart way that they want to play and maybe not play as individuals because that's generally how that comes about when you have little fits and starts where teams do well. You tend to fall back into individual patterns of play, which just don't cut it whenever you're at at this level. You have to have a team structure around about it that creates the opportunities, that creates the space that allows the individuals to play rather as the opposite way where the individuals are trying to do things to then let the game play. So this is a massive game for Newton Stewart because they need to pick up something. To go three three losses on the bounce would be a disastrous start. It's not panic stations, but after the great season that they had last year, they're, they're going to be disappointed if they end up losing three games straight, straight off the bounce. So it's a tough one. They've got the, the pedigree to do it. They know they have. As we said, we beat, they beat them last time they've played. They've got to make sure that they do it this week. We're hoping for the same for Dumfries, who are looking for their first win of the season. They are at home, unlike Newton Stewart, which could play into their hands. Hamilton Bulls are coming to Park Farm. Yeah, and this is, again, almost a carbon copy. Saints, two losses. Hamilton, two losses. So they're both on even even footing. Saints at home, much like what I just said about the, the Annan women's team. They've got to make sure that they start. If they can start hard against Hamilton, their team is is uh, coming off the back of two, two losses as well. So this is going to be who starts this game better. Because once you get a good start, as, as I've just mentioned, it starts putting the fear into the opposition. And if your opposition's decent and they've been on a momentum, they've got some wins under their belt, then they'll, they can come back into the game. If they're on two losses, then they just piles more pressure on. And that's ultimately what you, what you want to do whenever you're attacking and defending in rugby is put as much pressure on the opposition as you can and take some of that pressure off yourself. So Saints need to be thinking about as, as Paddy was looking at getting those structures, getting those those patterns in place, but this would be a good one to win. This would be a great one for them to win. And if they can get a victory here and they can get a result, then that just takes a little bit of pressure off them and lets them start building some momentum. Stuart Tree this weekend have got Greenock Wanderers, and this is at home, I must say, because and that makes it a very exciting weekend because the Sirens are at home, Stuart Tree first 15 are at home and the Galloway 2s are also at Greenlaw, which should be such a good weekend. Side by Three games side by side. I don't know, John, maybe you can tell me the, the last time that happened or at least the last time the Stuart Tree first 15 men's and women's were playing side by side, if ever. But it's a really exciting time. And as I said, we made changes for game two, still came out with a win. And... I can tell you that there are a lot of boys putting their hand up for this game that have said they're keen and ready to play. So Sandy's got a job picking the team, but whatever team is is going to be put out on Saturday is going to be a good one. As you say, Roscoe, this is a history maker because it was supposed to happen last year. Unfortunately, the weather beat us. And touch wood, the weather's been good so far this week. I'm sure it's forecast to be good the rest of the week. So this should this should be the the opportunity that we get to be able to show those showcase those two first fifteens being able to play side side by side. I say side by side, slightly 
off kilter because the women kick off slightly earlier than the men, but for the purposes of dramatic effects and for the for the cliches, we'll we'll just roll with it. You you'll give us creative license. So and as you say, this is a really exciting game for Stuartry. You you talked about it and the the fixture, uh, the results roundup. That Stuartry were maybe struggling a little bit to to get their try scoring rolling and underway. This could be the opportunity for them. Greenock Wanderers coming off the back of two losses. They've conceded 70 points so far. They've managed to score 59. So by no means this is going to be an easy, easy fixture for Stuartry. But they are going into this as favourites. This is an opportunity for them to really try and push for that bonus point try marker that they can then set down and make it three from three and really start showing the rest of the National League that, yes, they may be the lowest team to have qualified to play National Four, but they have the credit, they have the the ability to be there and, and cause some damage. Listen, you just have to go and look at the leagues to see exactly what we've talked about for the last couple of, whole of last season, just about, is how good this West 1 league is when you see Greenock, Greenock, not Greenock, when you see Garnock sitting top of the league, unbeaten, Stuartry sitting in third place, unbeaten, unless it looks like that's going to be the case next week as well, with those two sides picking up potential victories. West Rugby is strong. They are doing some good things. They cannot be complacent, though. As you say, if you're struggling to score tries, you can't be showboating, you can't be cock-a-hoop, you can't think that this game's going to be a, a, a walk in the park. Much like we've talked about, it's about that good start. Get that good start, keep the good feeling going, keep the momentum going, and they should pick up a victory. For Annan, their game this weekend, I don't want to steal your limelight because it's it's been you that's been choosing the game of the week, but I think probably this is going to take take the cake this week, is it not? Annan, two from two, they are at home again, and they're playing Ardrossan who are also two from two. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Roscoe. This is game of the week. As you say, first versus second, it's the only early in the league. I know it's I know it's uh, easy to get excited, but Adrossen look like they are on absolute fire. They've had a bit of a, a tough time the last couple of seasons sliding down the league. I think they were originally National 2, and then they got relegated into National 3, and then got relegated down again. They've managed to score 114 points so far this season, only conceding 40. It's a going to be a tough ask for, for Annan, but it's at Violet Bank. And everybody knows in Dumfries and Galloway that when you go to Violet Bank, anything could happen. It's a big one for them. I know Jan will be excited for it. This will be a real, real to see just where they are. You know, they've, they've won their games that they needed to win. You can only play the opposition that's in front of you. Kilmarnock have found themselves bottom of the league. DL, as I say, were a, a step up. They were one from one. And this is it. This is the game now, top of the table. One of the teams is going to continue their unbeaten run and one of their teams is going to find themselves probably in that middle pack with one loss. So, game of the week. Good luck to Anne and good luck to Jan. 
Port Shire off the back of their win against Straven. They're away to Kilmarnock. Now, you've just mentioned that Kilmarnock are struggling a little bit, but we know how good a team they can be on their day, especially on their own patch. Maybe the folk at Shire could uh, go back an episode and listen to what Juan had to say and maybe get some insights into how to beat this Kilmarnock side away from home. Yeah, listen, I'll I'll use some of my Ayrshire inside knowledge. And I I know no Kilmarnock have lost a few boys. Their uh, their recruitment has uh, come into full swing. A few retirements. I've had a look at their team sheets the last couple of weeks to try and figure out what was what was been going on with them, and they look like they've they've lost a few boys and there's a few new faces in that Kilmarnock side. But as you said, Belsland's a difficult place to to go. I don't worry. I, I used to I used to play for them. I used to play for Kilmarnock. That's where I actually started my youth rugby. First game was was in a Kilmarnock jersey. Don't lynch me, people, but that's the truth. So I know that those change rooms have not changed since I was playing there. Their change room has changed. The first team change room has changed, but the opposition change rooms haven't. So I know it's a, I know it's not a comfortable place. They put you in those those pokey little change rooms down that dark corridor. They make you have to walk all the way through to get to the showers. You're right at the back corner. You've got to come round through the grandstand. I've got the big stand there that everybody gets real close to it and it echoes and it plays out onto the pitch. It's a real, can be a real intimidating place to go. But listen, Shire will be used to that because it's it's just like that down at Wigtonshire when you go and play. They, they've got those string barriers and the crowd likes to get right on top of you. So Shire will be used to that sort of environment. It'll be hostile against them instead of being uh, hostile against their opposition. They'll be they'll be used to that sort of environment. So, Shire now they've got that first win under their belt. That's that's the momentum. Now they've just got to keep building on it. But we know that Shire is inconsistent with that week in week out performance. And when there's fixtures where they should be winning, tend to be a little bit complacent. So, they've got to look at their captain, Jason. They've got to look at. Forsyth boys who who are some real ballers we know through the through the podcast touch Gregor you know they've got the potential to to do that they need to get behind these boys and these boys need to lead from the front and make sure that they've had, got big games because Kilmarnock will have their back against the wall and they will come out swinging so they need to be on the ball they need to make sure that they keep their discipline they don't get sucked into the silly arm wrestle that Kilmarnock will try and take them down to. They need to play their game, stick to their shapes, stick to their structures and let their game play. And they should come back with a victory. But as I say, it's a tough place to go. Who have you not played for, John, honestly? Every team we go through, you say, oh, I know a little bit about them. I used to play. (laughs) Do you know anything about... Now, I'll be honest, this is another team that I... When I saw the fixtures list... I was panicking that I'd get the name wrong because that's been a uh, been a common theme throughout this podcast over the past ten and a half months we've been doing it. Moffat, they missed out on having a home game the first weekend, if you'll remember, because Isle of Mull couldn't travel. They were away to Glasgow Unimedics, as we said, and got the win. 
we're hoping finally they get that home game in 2023-24 kicked off. They have Burkmeyer. You're going to laugh at this, Ross, but I actually know the coach of Burkmeyer. I used to play with him. Of course I do. Of course I do. Puppy, we call him Puppy Craig Williamson, his coach. Uh, one of the coaches up at Burkmeyer. I used to play with him when, uh, when we were at Irvine, and he's really tried to encourage them to play that wide, expansive game. So Burkmeyer had traditionally been quite a big, heavy pack, liked to play a bit up-the-jumper sort of rugby. They're now starting to change that style and sort of try and play that wide, as most teams are probably trying to lean towards being able to play that fast, expansive game because that's the type of game that you need to play now with these new tackle tackle height laws. It's a home game, though. Again, no one likes travelling down to Dumfries and Galloway, so Moffat need to take full advantage of that. Unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, Burkmeyer are undefeated in the league. They have managed to score themselves over 100 points in the two games and they've only conceded 20. So Moffat will really need to be on the ball to really try and put some pressure on them. They're going to be looking at Max to try and pull some strings, see if he can uh, make some line breaks because that's that's essentially what you're going to need. You're going to need to get in behind the boys. You're going to need big carries from the forward pack to get themselves the go forward and just keep applying that pressure. Burkmeyer will be a fairly decent side. They're going to have to be if they've scored 100 points and only conceded 20. This is a toss-up. This could go This could go either way. I'm really excited for Moffat because I think, you know, we talked about it on the podcast. Like, when you listen to Ross, you want to throw your boots on for him and you want to go and play. And that's that's what Moffat need. They need that enthusiasm. They need that drive. And I think I think they could cause an upset here. I think if, if they could go and they could beat Burkmeyer and end up being two from two and, and being at the top of that table, it's an exciting time. But Burkmeyer will be no mugs by, by any stretch of the imagination. So we'll just need to wait and see. Saturday night, we'll have we'll all be checking our uh, checking the SRU page or we'll be checking the Dumfries and Galloway rugby podcast page to get the score round up. And we'll we'll see where we go. Good luck this weekend then to Newton Stewart, Dumfries men's and women's, Stewartry men's and women's, Annan men's and women's, Shire men would be women's, but they have a bye week, as we said, and Moffat, of course. That is us for today. Apart from, we're hoping for some any other rugby business. We do have a few bits of any other rugby business, Ross. We will deal with the serious stuff first, and then we'll get on to the, the couple of bits of carry-on news that we have. So the first one is just to make sure everyone is aware that Scottish Rugby are running their strategy development roadshows, which for Glasgow South will be held on Monday the 25th of September. And that is going to be at Kilmarnock Rugby Club at 6.30. Now, I already know what we're all thinking is that as far down as we can get. Listen, it is where it is. This is a, a fairly big meeting that I would be encouraging a lot of clubs in Dumfries and Galloway to get along to because... If we do not have representation at these meetings, 
then it'll be Ayrshire rules that that will be followed and they won't take into consideration the whole travel aspect that we have, the whole issue in and around rural localities that that we have, that sort of stuff will be missed out if we are not in attendance at these meetings and able to talk about it. Because I have been to many a meeting in my time at Scottish Rugby where people just do not get what it's like in Dumfries and Galloway and what it's the challenges that we face. I've sat through meetings where guys from Ayrshire have told us that they think there should be a 20-minute travel limit on all fixtures. So if you have to travel any more than 20 minutes, that's not a realistic fixture to go and play. Now, we know down in Dumfries and Galloway, if you put that on, there'll be quite a lot of teams in D&G that can't even play teams that are in D&G. They just cannot grasp the concept that, as a local authority, we cover the equivalent this is a fact because I looked into this Roscoe, wait to hear this. Dumfries and Galloway from end to end is the equivalent of travelling from Ayr to Dundee. That is how far you can travel still in Dumfries and Galloway. So listen, I know it's not ideal. It's not an ideal situation. If we had our way, yes, we would probably have one down in Dumfries and Galloway. But Kilmarnock's the venue. We've got to suck it up. We've got to get there. And we've got to make sure that our voices are heard and our opinions are put forward because this is what's going to going to drive us for the next four years. This is a strategy that's going to put it together. Next week, we will do a deep dive into that. I'll give you my opinions on on how I think we should maybe look at some different challenges or we should look at some opportunities within the strategy. I'll give you my opinion. We'll have a discussion with Ross about his his uh, rugby experiences and we'll see if we can come up with something and listen if it's something that agrees with you you can you can take it as food for thought we're just going to try and get you thinking about because it's all good and well moaning teams don't like traveling so what is the solutions what are the what are the answers how do we go to murrayfield how do we go to scottish rugby and how do we give them solutions this is what we want to see and that's that's what this is going to give us. This is going to give us that opportunity. So I would encourage as many people as we can to try and get along to that so that the voices of D&G can be heard. That's me off my soapbox. Now we can go on to the banter. So with the return of the season, also sees the return of our Know the Score predictor. Now, for those of us who have taken part previously and maybe taken part a bit this season, we've done a little bit of a change. So last time we asked you to predict the actual score. This time we were asking you to predict the outcomes of the game. So it's a bit, a little bit easier. We're just looking for who wins and who loses. And listen, two, two, two rounds in, we are already looking fairly decent. We have some mystic Megs and we have some people who clearly are just making it up and hitting random buttons on the way down. But we want to give a shout out to Jiggy J, who is my brother. Tried to kid, kid on his cool and give himself a cool nickname now that he thinks he's uh, he's one of these hip and trendy PE teachers. He has managed to predict 12 fixtures right. Think off the top of my head that that means he has got only three fixtures wrong. So that is pretty impressive. But I'm also going to give a shout out to Jake because he has also matched that. He is also on 12. So those guys are currently leading the charge. Next up, though, we have the Dark Horse. He is returning after last season's success. He was one of our prolific 
pretty much on ball points score predictors. He has managed to predict nine fixtures right so far this season. So he is doing pretty well. The other guys are sort of in and around the mix. They've maybe only submitted one one round so far. So we've got Callum and Adam T on six points, along with Cal, Dav, Jack S on five, and also on five is Shona. There is Don on four, Scott on four, Beth and Elaine on three. As you can tell, some of those guys are maybe only submitted sort of one week. So if you don't want to get left behind, you need to go on the bus early now. This is the opportunity. There will be another score predictor this weekend for the games, and we hope you join us in that. And before we go, last score predictor that we also have is the Rugby World Cup's on. Obviously, we know it's all on. I was so excited at the weekend. It kind of snuck up on me. I was I was feeling okay as the week went on. But come Friday, I was absolutely buzzing. How did you find the World Cup, Roscoe? Yeah, buzzing for it. Because it comes around, obviously, only once every four years. It's, as you say, it kind of sneaks up on you and you forget how, how good it actually is after four years of not watching a World Cup. And especially to have it not too far from home in France and have a bunch of really good sides and probably the best, most competitive World Cup we've ever had in that a number of teams can win it. And then Scotland lost to South Africa. I thought we were poor. Yes, there's lots of talking points in that game. Yes, we can go into lots of details. But be all and end all, I thought we were very one-dimensional. And if we play like that against Ireland, we're going to struggle. So yes, I love the World Cup, but by Sunday evening, I'd had enough of it. So let's just scrap it and, and get to the Six Nations. Oh, such a pessimist, Ross. There's been some great rugby played. For me, for me, I love it, obviously, because professionally, it was all about rugby development for 15 years. Came a little sabbatical, but I'm starting to get back into the kind of mindset that we're going to be coming back into that that world. This is the ideal opportunity to be able to inspire people to to pick up the rugby ball and and maybe re-engage with the sport. And I think it's a big opportunity for clubs, especially when there's, as you say, one of the most open World Cups ever to sort of get themselves involved. Some great games. So the Wales Fiji game, obviously at the weekend, was really exciting. Backs and forwards, who who was going to win it? Taking Dan Bigger off, thinking the game was sealed up and then him eating his towel at the end, thinking, oh God, they're going to come back and they're going to snatch it away from us. It was exciting. So that's the, the France-New Zealand game, also really exciting. I, say, I, think, I think it's great. I think on ITV as well, free to view. It's perfect. This is a chance for us to re-engage those people we've talked before about how difficult it is to try and make sure that you get a side out every week. This is the opportunity to be able to showcase what rugby has to offer at the highest level. And it's really, I, I love it. I think it's really exciting. So we have created, after Ross moaned at the Six Nations, that he's terrible at picking teams and making sure that he knows who's playing and who's not playing and you're checking team sheets all the way up to the, the the starting whistle. We've decided that we're going to do the match predictor challenge. So we have the match predictor for the Rugby World Cup. So I go on. This is just how I run it. It's up to you. It's how you do it. But I'll go on one day 
look at the the fixtures for the weekend and just pick who I think is going to win, what this points difference is going to be, and who is going to be the first try scorer, and then we get some points. Have you had a look at that league table, Roscoe? Have you fared any better? And you know the answer to that question, John. No, I have not. And I'm not overly excited to hear what the league table has to say. But I know you're going to tell me anyway, so far away. Well, Roscoe, you'll be disappointed that you aren't looking at the match predictor, mate, because you are currently sitting in third place, one point ahead of me. Jay Mitch is leading the way on 79 points. Hightower is sitting in second on 66. Ross Sanderson on third. Me on fourth. D Button in fifth, T Calendar in sixth. They are all over 40 points. There is some other guys in that league table underneath us who are sitting on less than that. And we've got to give a shout out to the guy that we've talked about on the, a little bit on the podcast, Dav Thompson, who is currently sitting dead last on only 20 points. But still time to catch up on that. And we will keep an eye on that as the league tables progress and as the fixtures go on. So you are actually better at this, Roscoe, than the standard picking of a team. Like I said before, let's just stop the World Cup there. I'll take third place. No bother. <laughs> as John said, rugby at the highest level all over the world and rugby at the highest level here in Dumfries and Galloway. Good luck to all the sides this weekend. As always, let's hope for our first ever clean sweep. I'm waiting. Every single week I wait for a queen, 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 sleep, sleep. <laughs> a clean sweep of Dumfries and Galloway wins. Cheers, John. See you next week. Yeah, Ross. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a like and review on our social medias. Our Facebook page is Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are DG Rugby Pod. We also have the Score Predictor, which we run weekly, which will be on our social media accounts. And once again, thank you for any support that you offer the pod. It really does help us spread the word of rugby and Dumfries and Galloway across the country.